Tonight I'll continue my series on metta, uh, on the paramis, by talking about metta, the parami of metta, or loving kindness, or unconditional love. The Dalai Lama said, This is my simple religion. There is no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophy. Our own brain, our own heart, is our temple. The philosophy is kindness. The short quote expresses the open heart of metta. We practice in our own temples, our temple of our mind and our heart to develop open-heartedness. We practice to break down the barrier of separation that we feel, the separation between ourselves and others. And when that is broken through, we are left with love, connection, and kindness. One of my main teachers of metta is a monk in um, the area of Burma where I teach sometimes. Um, and we call him the happy monk because he's so happy and when I um, am around him, I can feel the power of his metta. He radiates this. His expression of metta is a joyous kind of happiness. And so when you're around him, it's almost, um, the, 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 the sense I get is a, it's almost bubbly. It's so happy. And so I wondered why he was uh, so happy. So one time I thought this would be a good question to ask him. So I said to him, why are you so happy? And I expected um, a kind of wisdom answer from the wisdom side of, of our practice, something about no self, or I don't know, but I expected a wisdom answer. And he said, um, I'm happy, so happy because I don't have any ill will towards anyone or anything. And the way that metta is often described in, um, in, the in the Burmese Buddhist tradition is the absence of ill will. So basically he was saying, I feel metta. I have a heart full of metta. And he, and he starts talking. He's like, I, I have no ill will towards you and no ill will towards you and no ill will towards the snakes and no ill will towards anyone. He kind of like, you know, like this with lots of energy. So just being around him, you feel some flavor of metta. Then there's another uh, monk that really inspires me. And we call him Angel Saira. When I walk into his monastery, I feel like I'm walking through an ocean of metta. And I almost feel like I have to swim, that I can't just walk, but that I have to actually, it's so thick that I feel like I have to kind of part it with my hands to be able to walk through because that feeling is so strong. And his metta, it's very calm. It's like an ocean, um, just this endless ocean of kindness and love. And I like to reflect on these two monks because their expression of metta is so different. The essence is the same. The essence is, is the open-heartedness, the non-separation, the, the kindness. Sometimes I think that if you took these two when they were younger and they lived in, you know, and they were in like third grade or something, Happy Monk would be the um, class clown, and Angel Sidal would be the shy boy sitting in the corner reading his book. And what I love about this is that we all get to express this heart of metta in our own way, that, that there's no specific way it's supposed to look or some kind of formula, but it, it comes out in our own unique expressions in our own personality. You could say that we become the pure expression of our Buddha nature, which is this nature of open-heartedness.
So what is metta? Let's talk a little bit more about this. Sometimes I use the word love um, interchanging with, with metta. And obviously I don't mean an ardent kind of romantic love, which may be sometimes where we first go with that word. But metta or love as loving kindness, which is a traditional uh, translation. But sometimes unconditional love or sometimes simple goodwill, kind-heartedness. And this expression is a sincere interest in the happiness and the well-being of, of others. Metta is a kind of wishing well for others without... Um, strings attached, without self-interest. So it's a selfless love. And when metta is fully developed, we, we make no distinction between ourselves and others and between those we like and those we don't like. It's open-heartedness towards all. It's boundless. The Buddha describes this happiness of a heart unified around goodwill, kindness. In the Metta Sutra, he says, Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Standing, walking, sitting, or lying down through all, all one's waking hours, one should practice this mindfulness. This, they say, is the supreme state. So the boundlessness and the inclusivity. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be happy omitting none. We can understand love as the most powerful force in the universe because it holds everything. It's inclusive. Nothing is excluded. So we can think of metta or love as unconditional acceptance. And we can feel it for people, and we can feel it for trees, and we can feel it for tables. In the inauguration address, there was a poet, or in the inauguration ceremonies this last January, there was a poet named Elizabeth Alexander who gave a reading of a poem that she wrote. She said, what if the mightiest word is love? Love that casts a widening pool of light. So we could also say that metta or love is the responsive essence of the heart-mind. It responds to others. It responds to this universe as is appropriate. So sometimes love or metta takes that force of kind, that, that um, expression of kind-heartedness. And when that kind-heartedness meets suffering, then that expression is compassion. And when that kind-heartedness encounters joy and happiness, the expression is um, sympathetic joy or appreciative joy. 
Cultivating metta makes our hearts softer, more pliable. Cultivating metta also strengthens the heart. When our hearts are strong in metta, we feel protected and resilient. But at the same time, we're also softer, more gentle, more accepting. When I first started practicing Vipassana about 25 years ago, I didn't like metta very much. When they did the metta sittings in the hall, I, um, I wouldn't go. I, uh, I just couldn't relate to it. Um, and so after about eight years of practice, I, um, I felt like I was really seeing my suffering quite clearly, but I was feeling kind of stuck, like, it's like I could see the suffering, but there was, I was not feeling like I could work with um, transforming it. So I went to uh, Joseph, my teacher Joseph, and um, I said to him, you know, I feel this way. I feel like I can really see my suffering. There's a lot of it, but there's not the sense that, that I'm moving. I'm stuck somehow. And he said, well, what you should do is a meta retreat. And um, I did not greet this with enthusiasm. I was like, no, anything but a meta retreat. But I trusted him, and uh, I was desperate on top of it. And so I, um, I signed up for a two-month meta retreat at IMS, and um, it, he was right. It was just what my practice needed. It, um, it, it both softened my heart, mind, but it also made it stronger. And... Um, it really, it, it made my practice, it felt like my practice started to move again when, after I'd done that retreat. Basically, it, it, I had to see more suffering. It made me strong enough to see more um, so that then I could, uh, um, there, was, there was the ability to engage in a way that felt like it was transformative. And after that, I became a true believer in metta. We could say that metta is the essence of the awakened heart and mind. And so we don't need so much to create it, but to remember it. I mean, it's clear to all of us that we don't all the time feel a boundless love for all beings. So we find through metta practice and also in our vipassana practice, we find ways to remember this to remember this open-heartedness and to cultivate the pathway of the heart that leads to this feeling of connectedness and this responsiveness to others and ourselves. But we also, uh, as part of this cultivation, we become familiar with what blocks this natural expression of the heart. We also have to understand this so that these obstructions no longer, these obstructions of the heart no longer uh, fool us into believing in separation. So I think most of you know something about metta practice. Um, and in form of metta practice, uh, we we start by uh, calling forth metta by connecting with a being, a person, our being who spontaneously opens our hearts. So we connect with somebody that helps us remember that quality of a heart that's open and kind and um, uh, unreservedly wishes well. So it might be a mentor or somebody who's been very kind to us or um, it might be a puppy or a kitten. I mean, when you think of a puppy and a kitten, it does call forth that heart, right, that's open without reservation. I mean, do we feel ill will towards a puppy or a kitten? Usually not. Um, do we demand anything of a puppy or a kitten? Usually not. So there's that ease of, of an open heart. 
I often call forth uh, one of my godchildren. I have several godchildren, and um, my love for them is very simple and very easy. They can do things that aren't right or whatever, and I still love them. It doesn't matter. The heart's still open towards them. So somebody like that who spontaneously opens our hearts. And so then um, we move through other people that uh, call forth um, happiness in the heart. But what happens is that as we do this practice in the formal metta practice, which I'm talk about first and then Vipassana. As we do this practice, we come up against obstructions in our heart. And um, guess what these obstructions are? There are old friends, attachment and aversion. (laughs) Same things we work with in Vipassana practice. And with those that we love more easily, it's often attachment that comes up when we're trying to cultivate metta. So we could say that when we're cultivating metta, we're actually exploring what love is. We're trying to understand what love is. It's not so simple to understand. It's not so simple to actually um, understand sometimes the difference between metta and attachment. Now, I'm not talking about attachment like a healthy attachment as we use it. When I think of a healthy attachment with a child or a partner, I call that commitment. The attachment that I'm talking about is the attachment in the Buddhist sense of some contraction of the heart around our love for somebody. So it's, it's love that starts to go like this. So a popular understanding of love often includes a lot of attachment, need and expectation, demand, control. Sometimes that's called, um, in Buddhist uh, language, selfish love. So it's love that has a lot of me in it and what I want, what I need, what I demand. So in this case, love means that uh, I, ex- I need you or want you or expect you to be a certain way. And we can explore this in the, in the relationships where we're, that are with people we're close to. I explore this with my partner. I find it really interesting, for example, as in any relationship, we go through periods where we're closer and periods where we're not so close. And then I notice that when we get closer, we have the periods that we get closer. <laughs> I notice that then the attachment starts coming up. Like, um, I want him to take better care of himself and eat better and exercise better and everything so he won't die on me. You know, it's like, <laughs> and then I'll try to control him, tell him what to do <laughs> so that, you know, it's, and then it's about me. Right? So I notice what this is, you know, when this happens, and then I learn, oh, to let go, to let him be, to let him be who he is and do what he will do. So letting go of that attached love that wants to control to, oh, appreciating him just as he is. So we get to explore this. It's a natural part of trying to understand what love is. One metta retreat that I taught, a woman um, was telling me, she said I could share this, she was telling me that she was doing metta practice for her baby. And so she was saying, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you sleep through the night without a bottle, (laughs) may you no longer pee pee in mom and dad's bed. (laughs) She's like, I think some attached love slipped in there. (laughs) That kind of like expectations. And the thing about attached love is that you can feel the heart start to to clench. That's how you know the difference. In the pure metta, our hearts open. There's a feeling of ease and relaxation. And then when the attachment starts slipping in, we feel the heart start to clench and contract. And that's how we know that we're getting, um, that one of these obstructions is uh, taking over.
So therefore, to, to love deeply, we need to also learn equanimity. And fully developed metta includes also equanimity. This is kind of the cool aspect of, of metta. Equanimity is love with understanding how life is. Love that can hold impermanence, that can hold change. Metta that can understand that life doesn't go according to our wishes and that other people are essentially uncontrollable. So fully developed metta also understands that although we wish others well, it's not always going to be that way, that every life has um, joy and sorrow and pleasure and pain, and that those we love, it will be that way too. So fully developed metta includes this equanimity, this ability to hold life as it is with all its joys and all its sorrows. This is why loving open-heartedly is challenging. Loving is vulnerable business because the one we love is uncontrollable and the one we love will eventually be separated from us in some way. Sometimes in the morning when my partner leaves to go to work, sometimes I will consciously reflect that I don't know if he will come home. And I don't say that to depress myself. It's not like it depresses me. Actually, I find it it's poignant and it also actually increases my appreciation for what I have right now. But I also feel like it's a way of practicing non-attachment, love without attachment, knowing that ultimately we'll be separated from each other. So how do we love knowing that? These circumstances, how do we love? It takes great courage to keep the heart open and loving in this world of change that we have taken birth in. So we practice letting our hearts be large enough to hold all this and to go on loving. The Korean Zen master Sansanim said, Great love, great sadness. I think he's saying that real love uh, isn't cheap, it has a price. And the price is that vulnerability and openness to all of life. So as we continue in our metta practice, we eventually break down the idea that we have to have a personal connection to feel love or kindness towards others. And we do this through understanding deeply the universality of the wish to be happy, of our essential humanity, how we're all the same in this. In this way, everyone can become our friend. So one category we work with is a neutral person, somebody we don't know well. When I did the practice here over those two months, I chose somebody on staff as my neutral person. So I was sending her metta for hours, may you be happy, may you be uh, peaceful, may you be safe. And... um, it was interesting because after the retreat, I would run into her, and she wasn't really a, somebody you know I knew as a friend on, uh, you know, in your typical friend category. But she felt like my friend, so whenever I would see her, I'd be like, I always would want to come and say, "Hi, how are you?" And, and it's like, "Oh yeah, I don't really know her," <laughs> and it's because the meta had cultivated um, 
that real sense that she was my friend. So metta does that. It, it um, increases the number of friends we have. And then we even work with difficult people. We practice cultivating metta for difficult people, those that challenge us in different ways. And this will often call us to work with the aversion, the ill will in our hearts and minds. So how do we keep an open heart to somebody who annoys us? How do we be kind to somebody who perhaps hasn't been so kind to us? So we discover where our hearts have hardened and we let them soften. Metta is called a solvent that melts our psychic pollutants of anger and resentment and ill will. So metta softens the heart so that it's strong enough to be open. When I worked in this long retreat, I am, um, I, for my difficult person, I chose somebody at work. I was an ESL teacher, and I chose another teacher who I had some trouble with because I felt like she didn't treat the students as kindly as I wanted her to. And uh, so I did a lot of metta for her. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be well. And I was really curious when I went back to work how it was going to be to... Um, to be with her to see if it would be different after cultivating all that metta. And um, so I went back to work on a Monday, and um, it turns out that she resigned the previous Friday. So I never, um, I, th- I thought, wow, this metta stuff really works. Because <laughs> I never, never got a chance to see how that one went. <laughs> hmm. With metta, the, the, we try to cultivate the ability to see the good in others. So even those that are challenging to us, we cultivate the ability to look for where there may be good. And if we can't find good, at least cultivate that understanding that we're um, of our shared humanity. I watched a movie the other um, week. It wasn't a very good movie, um, but there was a part that I really liked in it. It was a movie called I Am David, and it was about a boy who um, had lived most of his young life in a, in a prison camp uh, post-World War II. I guess it wasn't a prison camp, but anyway, it was some kind of labor camp where he, a Jewish boy, um, it wasn't during the war, but it was afterwards, but anyway, somehow he... His dad keeps telling him, his dad helps him escape, but his dad keeps telling him, don't trust anybody. You can't trust anybody in this world. And he just really pounds this, this lesson into his son. And so his son um, escapes and is trying to get to Denmark. And um, he goes through some different countries. And, you know, he, he, he meets people. Some of them seem trustworthy, some not. But he just doesn't trust anybody. And finally he meets this woman who's lost her own son. And she really um, shows him a lot of love, and he starts wondering, you know, well, can I trust, maybe trust her? And so he's asking her about this. He's telling her about not trusting. And um, she said, well, you know, there are good people and difficult people, and, uh, and uh, yeah, you have, you have to trust somebody. You can't go through life without trusting somebody. And then he starts to have this experience where he remembers the camp, and... Uh, he had stolen a bar of soap, and he had the soap, and the guard who it was stolen from um, was somebody high up in the camp, apparently. He comes out, and he's like, who has the soap? Who stole it? And, you know, I'm going to kill whoever stole it. And it's like he's determined he's going to find the person. And the kid has the soap, and the guy next to him takes the soap from him. And... Uh, they actually shoot the guy who takes the soap from him. But the thing he remembers then that he'd totally forgotten is he remembers the guard. One of the guards saw him give the soap to this other guy, and he, and he didn't do anything. He didn't tell on him. 
So he just has a moment where he remembers the guard not telling on him, and he sees that this guard had kindness in him. And it's like it's transformative for him. He starts to, he starts to understand that, you, that, um, that there's good in, in people and that um, he can trust. Well, um, there's a story. Deepama is a is a or was a Burmese um, teacher in 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 our tradition and um, a really um, uh, a living embodiment of of metta. Once somebody, I think it was Joseph, asked her what was in her mind and heart, and she said three things. Metta, concentration, and peace, which sounds like a pretty, pretty good deal. Um, and there's a story here from uh, Amy Schmidt's book about about uh, Deepama. It's a great book, worth reading. And this was uh, recounted by Stephen Schwartz. He says. For a couple of years, it seemed that whenever I went to New York, my car would get broken into and my radio ripped off. I'd been invited to a friend's wedding in Queens. I told Deepama that I was thinking of taking the train because my radio always gets stolen. Don't be silly, she said. Go by car. So we ended up taking the car, which by that time had a security system installed on it. We parked the car and went to the wedding. When we came out, sure enough, my car had been broken into yet again. This time they took not only the radio, but all my tapes, too. When we got back, I walked into the house, and Deepama asked, How was the wedding? The wedding was great, I said, but my car got broken into, and the radio was stolen. I'm really upset. Deepama just burst out laughing. What's so funny? You must have been a thief in your former lifetime. How many more times do you think you will need to have your radio stolen? You tell me, I demanded. How many more times? Tell me so I can be prepared. Ignoring my question, she asked, what did you do? What was your reaction when your car was broken into? I was really angry because it's happened so many times, and I thought I had a security system. She looked at me in amazement. You mean you didn't even think about the man who took your radio? How sad his life must be? She closed her eyes and started chanting quietly to herself, and I knew she was saying metta, loving-kindness blessings for the thief. It was a wonderful lesson for me. So that's sending metta to the difficult person, or a difficult person, through the understanding of that person's humanity and the way they suffer. That was her doorway. So let's talk a little bit, I've talked a little bit about the formal metta practice, but let's talk a little bit about how our mindfulness practice or our vipassana practice cultivates metta. As we sit and connect moment after moment with our experience, just as it is, we learn to relate to life as it is experienced in this mind, body, heart with unconditional acceptance, without attachment or aversion. So we're essentially practicing metta or love when we do this. So there's this intention as we do metta that, that um, uh, this intention as we do mindfulness or vipassana practice to connect with things as they are, just as they are, without attachment or aversion. Now, obviously, it's a practice, right? But when we do that, each time that we can do that, that we can connect with the 
experience arising, not have to push it away or not cling to it. We're practicing that open-heartedness, that unconditional acceptance that is at the root of metta. So our Vipassana practice encourages us to understand metta by being with our experience, all of it, without trying to change it. Sometimes we'll start out our Vipassana practice thinking that we're a fixer-upper, a fix-up project. That's how I started. I thought that I needed to be fixed somehow. So we sometimes will feel that our practice is to somehow make ourselves fundamentally better than we are at this time. But slowly we, be- we begin to understand with practice that the transformation that we wish for comes out of deep acceptance to what is happening right now. So metta is that space that allows all to arise and the space that holds all that arises without judgment or separation. So we can check to see what attitude we do our vipassana practice with. How are we relating to our experience? Is there judgment and ill will towards our experience as it arises? Or is there acceptance and metta? So our own experience as we practice with whatever life presents to us is a proving ground for how we will relate to outer manifestations of what arises inside of us. So, for example, as perhaps anger arises within us, and we learn over time how to hold that with kindness and acceptance, letting it be with mindfulness. As we're able to do this, then when we see anger outside of ourselves, we'll have that same capacity to hold it with kindness. And if anger arises and we don't know how to work with it within ourselves and reject it, for example, or repress it or say, that's not me, then when we see it in others, we'll react the same way. So the more we learn within our own practice to hold um, the challenges and difficulties of being a human, the more that we can offer that kindness when we see it in others. Thich Nhat Hanh has a beautiful poem, which I'm not going to read the whole thing, called um, Please Call Me By My True Names. And in this poem, he talks about how he says, I'm the mayfly on the pond's surface, and I'm the frog who eats the mayfly. And I'm the child in Uganda that's starving, and I'm the arms merchant that sells arms to the... uh, in Uganda, and I'm the 12-year-old refugee girl who's raped by the sea pirate, and I'm the sea pirate. And that his understanding of this, this beautiful understanding um, that within himself there are the seeds of joy and happiness, and there's also the seeds of anger and hatred, He says that this is what opened his heart, or what opens his heart of compassion, one of the expressions of metta. And what's so beautiful, you know, this is a, Tignan Han is known as a pretty, pretty, pretty 
much a master in um, Buddhism that he can say that and he can acknowledge that in his own heart. And it's, that's what we all need to do too. We have to acknowledge in our hearts that there are so many beautiful qualities and there's also so many difficult qualities that we all have the seeds of anger and hatred within our hearts. And when we can acknowledge that and learn how to work with it, then we can offer that as kindness to others. We don't have to make that separate. The Buddha talked about the power of metta to transform the environment and those people around us. I've done um, a little experiment with this in airports. Airports can be kind of alienating places. And uh, so I've tried, like walking through an airport, just sending metta to people. So I'll just think happy, happy. I just do it very short, just happy, see people happy, happy. And um, it does, it transforms, it feels like people are kinder to me. They seem happy to see me. <laughs> I don't even talk to them, you know. But I think that that metta, it, it does transform the environment. Suddenly an airport that seems like an alienating place is suddenly a friendly place. Here are all my friends. We know that when we um, cultivate metta that um, we experience the world as friendlier. So it's good karma. It's good karma for ourselves and it's good karma for others. It's a very wholesome intention. Walt Whitman, our own Walt Whitman said, I am larger and better than I thought. I did not think I held so much goodness. It's a blessing for us to understand. Our, it's a blessing for us to see that we hold so much goodness, that our hearts can be so kind. So metta can feel like um, grace in our lives, a certain kind of blessing or grace. And part of this grace is beginning to lay down the burden of hatred in our hearts. Martin Luther King, who is one of my heroes, he said, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. So we decide to stick with love. He also said, hatred paralyzes life, love releases it. Hatred confuses life, love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life, love illuminates it. So as we cultivate metta, we find that our lives feel more harmonious and more illuminated. And that sense of grace that comes with metta, part of it is that we feel less separated and less alienated in this world. It heals that sense of um, alienation because we understand that we belong in this great web of, of humanity. We understand our essential interconnectedness and that we have a place in this world. So as uh, the Dalai Lama said, kindness is a natural expression of metta. So when our, 
hearts are strong and metta, we, 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 we express that as kindness in this world. So an attitude of gentleness and care with, with other beings and with all aspects of, of creation of this universe. So perhaps not just people, but of course people, but animals and trees and tables and pebbles. So metta is care and kindness, and we can express it anytime, anywhere. I obviously like to uh, practice um, expressing kindness with people, but I also I, I lately have enjoyed uh, expressing kindness with cushions and plates and, and things, respecting all the gifts of uh, the universe that we receive. So there's so many ways that we can do this, express this kindness. Obviously, it, it, uh, there's innumerable ways we can express our kindness. Um, the last time, or a recent time I was giving this talk, I was um, listening to National Public Radio, and they had the story of a, of a school teacher in um, California, I think it was California, and uh, she had started, she lived, she worked in this uh, part of the city where um, there was a lot of violence and death and destruction and difficulty. So she decided in her classroom, she had a grade school classroom, that she didn't want um, them to, to any more bugs to be killed. So she had established this tradition of having a bug monitor. And the bug monitor's job would be that if anybody found a bug in the classroom, that the bug monitor would take it outside and free it. And um, she said they, they really, the kids started to love it. And, and I could just imagine kids like, can I be the bug monitor? <laughs> but it's such a, the, to me that story was just a lovely um, expression of the heart of metta and kindness and find, finding a way to express it within our own lives. And she, you know, if it's from California, she was probably a Buddhist anyway. But, um, <laughs> but like just even following the precepts that we chanted uh, tonight, that's an expression of metta. So keeping the precepts is a great way to, um, to cultivate that heart of kindness. Many ways. But no time for any more stories. It's just about the end of our hour here. Um, so, uh, in our in our journeys onwards, we we understand that metta includes open heartedness and includes equanimity. And what's important is the t intention we set. We set the intention to be kind. And of course, it isn't always easy. Of course. We fall short of what we wish we could do, and of course we're not as kind as we wish we can be. But we set that intention in our lives to open our hearts and to be kind. And then we go for the ride, for this journey of discovery, of discovering what love is and, and how we manifest it, how we express it in our lives. And I'd like to end with a story um, called Wild White Horses by somebody named Lori Anderson. And she's talking about a time when she went to New York City and the Dalai Lama was there with some of his monks. And um, they do these mandalas, these sand mandalas, where very intricate um, designs, large designs made out of colored sand. And then when they're done, they sweep it away. He said, last, she says, last fall the Dalai Lama came to New York City to do a two-week ceremony called the Kala Chakra, which is a prayer to heal the earth. And woven into these prayers were a series of vows that he asked us to take. And before I knew it, I had taken a vow to be kind for the rest of my life. And I walked out of there and I thought, for the rest of my life, what have I done? 
this is a disaster. And I was really worried. Had I promised too much? Not enough? I was really in a panic. They had come from Tibet for the ceremony, and they were walking around Midtown in their new brown shoes. And I went up to one of the monks and said, can you come with me to have a cappuccino right now and talk? So we went to this little Italian place. He had never had coffee before, so he kept talking faster and faster. And, <laughs> and I kept saying, look, I don't know whether I promised too much or too little. Can you help me, please? And he was being really practical. He said, look, don't limit yourself. Don't be so strict. Open it up. He said, the mind is a wild white horse, and when you make a corral for it, make sure it's not too small. And another thing, when your house burn down, burns down, just walk away. And another thing, keep your eyes open. And one more thing, keep moving, because it's a long ways home. Let's sit for a minute. And he said, look, don't limit yourself. Don't be so strict. Open it up. The mind is a wild white horse, and when you make a corral for it, make sure it's not too small. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.